Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Health and Wellness Podcast brought to you by Sanford Health. I'm your host, Simon Kloss with Sanford Health News. Our conversation today is about sober curiosity and the rise of a sober generation. Our guests today are Anna Chalk and Ashley McMartin. Ashley is the Director of Behavioral Health at Sanford Health in Bemidji, Minnesota. And Anna is the Behavioral Health Clinical Manager at Sanford Health, also in Bemidji. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Simon. So this is something that um, uh, it seems like it's around us everywhere we go is alcohol. What are some trends in uh, alcohol consumption? And for this first uh, question, Anna, we'll start with you. Um, well, in, in general, I would say that the sober curious uh, lifestyle or just sober curiosity in general is on the rise, um, especially within that uh, younger generation. Um, there's a lot more exploration about um what alcohol, uh, how alcohol interacts with, with the individual. Um, consumption in general, uh, there's a lot of different data, unfortunately. Um, we saw a large spike in alcohol consumption, especially during the COVID pandemic. And I do believe that we are still seeing a lot of the effects of that. Yeah, Ashley, that was exactly what I was going to ask you. So uh, it's it, as Anna said, it's well documented. Rates increased uh, for alcohol consumption and binge drinking during the pandemic. Uh, in in your opinion, what what the things that you see every day? Why why is that? Yeah, so I want to point out in some of the numbers that I looked at in preparation for meeting today. One of the interesting pieces is that um, rates of oxyl-alcohol did increase substantially, but um, they did not necessarily outtrend the decrease in on-trade um, purchases. And so we just saw a movement from the maybe going out to eat and the bars and the um, uh, the restaurant sales. And we we then saw an increase in the off-sale, like buying from a liquor store or something like that. So um, there, as we've seen more data, we've seen this uh, balancing act between those two. Um, but in terms of, you know, when I think about how COVID maybe impacted alcohol use and how alcohol use may have increased uh, anxiety around COVID, you know, did they did they exacerbate each other? Not in terms of I got sicker because I drank alcohol, but just the idea of um, anxiety around COVID and those different pieces. But um, so again, we saw the off sale went up, but the the uh, rates within on trade um, went down, and they weren't equal amounts or percentages. Um, and we've seen, I think, people return to the going out and going to bars and liquor or bars and restaurants. Um, like we had pre-COVID rates. Um, but in terms of the why of it, um, alcohol is often used as kind of an escapism. And so um, during COVID, when we were in lockdown and we were forced to be together and in tight quarters and not having an outlet, um, that might explain why people turned to alcohol to kind of escape the reality of what was going on. Mm. Uh, and what would you say as far as uh, post-COVID rates? You know, that information is still coming out. So I'm not sure we have great data. Um, you know, I even question like, so what is post-COVID? What does that mean? When did COVID officially end? And right. uh, what does statistically that mean for some of this information? I will say, you know, we offer substance use disorder services within 
our behavioral health here in Bemidji and our um, rates of referrals and people seeking services voluntarily continues to rise and rise and rise. And so whether that is greater awareness, like someone is aware that they have a substance use disorder issue, um, whether it's just greater understanding by providers that this might hit that threshold and you might need as a patient need a referral, um, or whether it's, it's increased use, um, it's hard to know based on providing the services. That makes a lot of sense. So Anna, we'll switch to you for this next question. It's, uh, we all know it because uh, I'm in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but still part of the, mm -hmm. um, the Midwest. It's, it's very well known that binge drinking rates are uh, highest or uh, very high in the Midwest. Um, and obviously that's within Sanford Health's footprint uh, and binge drinking rates as well are very high in the Northeast. We, we uh, should not fail to mention. Uh, why is that? Um, I think that's a really good question. I would say there's some conversation going on, especially around those in their um, early adulthood. Um, and this is also part of that sober curious conversation, but just the some of the lack of entertainment options that happen in a more rural area uh, can definitely contribute to that. Um, and it can be normalized differently in rural areas than not. Um, so people may have different, uh, different models of what alcohol consumption looks like, um, you know, as they are maturing and growing into adulthood. Um, but typically the things that we hear of the most are lack of other entertainment options and it being um, somewhat of the cultural norm uh, to engage in alcohol consumption. So Ashley, what is considered binge drinking for men and women? Yeah, so based on the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, um, who does a lot of our research and um, sets some of our health standards, um, binge drinking for men is when someone consumes five or more drinks on one occasion, and for women is four or more drinks. And I just want to point out, like, we're talking a standard size drink, so like a uh, a standard size glass of wine, a shot, or a beer. And I think when we think about the super size me size servings in America, um, there's this perception that I, well, I only had like three beers, but really the beers were like talls, which would be considered like two, two uh, standard drinks. And so I just went from, you know, three drinks as a woman to six drinks and I hit that threshold. Mm -hmm. Um, Anna, how does alcohol affect us emotionally? Um, I'd like to start by just saying at, you know, first it can affect people differently and it does affect people differently. So generally what we know and understand about alcohol is um, certain parts of the brain that it stimulates or impacts. One of those being our frontal lobe where we make our wonderful decisions and have our critical thinking skills, um, judgment, things like that. Um, but it also stimulates the limbic system, which is responsible for our emotional uh, responses to situations and um, things going on around us, uh, meaning people may feel happier, right? If that, if that is stimulated. It doesn't mean they will, but that is definitely a big draw to alcohol, um, alcohol use. So, I would say it affects us differently, um, but generally across the board, we know that it does impact judgment, decision-making, but also can bring on 
pleasurable feelings, which is why it sometimes is, is used as a coping mechanism for other things going on in people's lives. Um, and unfortunately, it's fairly effective. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, a, that's a, a part of alcohol that is hard to argue when people are using that um, as an effective coping mechanism for what's going on. So uh, you talk about coping mechanisms. Uh, what are the warning signs that someone might have a problem with alcohol, alcohol or are using alcohol too much as a coping mechanism? Um, I'm so glad you asked that question and used the word problem because I think that's a, a large part of the sober curious movement. When you think of alcohol first, it's important to remember that it is a carcinogenic neurotoxin, meaning it's going to affect us in some way. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Ashley mentioned earlier why um, maybe we saw a spike in COVID or what that looks like. Um, the we should have a problem with it to some extent because of what alcohol really is. Um, you know, when we think about tolerance, when we think about I don't have a problem with alcohol, if you change out the word alcohol with something else, like I don't have a problem with methamphetamines, it's very, it puts a different spin on it, right? But alcohol is as mood altering as any other type of substance. Are you, are you making good decisions, good judgments? Um, are you dependent or reliant on alcohol to cope? Do you find yourself craving alcohol? Um, do you find yourself seeking alcohol uh, during specific situations or prior to or after something? Those are usually really um, relatively easy things for people to see about themselves and others is what are those patterns of alcohol use? Um, I would say those are probably the most mm -hmm. obvious that would be helpful for people yeah, to be aware it of. Makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, uh, can you maybe just talk about how uh, quickly and then Ashley, we'll, we'll get to you. We haven't forgotten about you, I swear. Um, the um, <laughs> How hard is it to, uh, you know, facilitate these conversations where like, say you're recognizing that in a loved one, um, how hard is it to bring that up and and what advice would you would you give to, to someone who who's seen these um, you know this this behavior and they're concerned I always suggest leading with curiosity and care um, and concern for that person as a person um, it's easy to point out problems that you think other people have uh, much easier than going towards a situation with compassion and curiosity um, but if you approach it in a curious way, hopefully that will keep that person's uh, mind open to exploring either in that conversation or with themselves. You know, simple questions like, I'm noticing that you're consuming alcohol uh, more often. Have you noticed that? Uh, you know, just general kind of open questions about do they notice things? How do they feel when they're using alcohol? Um, it just helps increase insight and also just start some thinking about, I wonder what this is really, what this is really looking like in my life and, and how and why I'm using it. So Ashley, more and more uh, people are living a sober or a sober curious lifestyle. Uh, personally, I, I myself don't drink and uh, quite a few of my friends are leaning more into uh, some of the uh, uh, many non-alcoholic options for beverages out, uh, that, are, that are popping up here and there. So what lifestyle tips do you have for those who are sober curious or uh, you know, maybe you would even like to be fully sober? 
Yeah, I think, um, especially in the Midwest, Anna had shared how um, use really transpires sometimes out of boredom and out of not a lot of things to do. So my number one suggestion always to people is find your people, find your supports, those other individuals that might be equally as sober, curious, and willing to try different and new things together. Um, and that your equation that works out for a balanced life for you is not going to be the same equation that works for someone else. And so knowing that about yourself and as you um, meet people that might be on their own either recovery journey or just um, sober, curious journey. And then I think the last thing probably, and, and I've gone through periods of this because my um, alcohol consumption looks different than my family systems is you don't have to justify or explain your lifestyle um, in, in why you're choosing to be sober or why you're exploring that. And so just know um, as you find your people, they will be, uh, they will be supportive or if you find the right supports, I should say, they will be caring and compassionate and curious along with you. Um, now, whether that means they drink or not is kind of up to them and their equation of things. But um, if you're finding yourself having to justify it, it might not be the right group and setting for you to continue to inter interact with and engage with. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very glad you said that because it's... Um... You know, they, uh, my my grandma, when, when she was uh, around, would say things like, uh, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's just uh, to that point of, um, you know, who you hang around is, is, every, is everything. So, um, and let's just uh, quick, Ashley, talk about like, let's say someone's listening to this and... Um, they're, they're, they're wondering if they, uh, you know, maybe have a problem with alcohol, they're, they've been drinking uh, too much. And what would you say if they are um, feeling some sense of shame about that? Um, what, what, would you, what would you say to them? Well, I think um, we are all doing the best that we can. And so I usually start at that place of someone coming to me and saying, I think I might have a drinking problem um, they are doing the best that they can with the resources that they have in that moment. And if they want to change those circumstances or resources, um, that's fantastic. Um, and if they don't, that's equally as fantastic. It's getting them through what they're going through in life. Um, but I think the other piece too is knowing how to access resources. It can be really difficult if you're in an environment where alcohol is the culture. Um, and so figuring out what are the other options that people have and um, connecting with people that have maybe walked that same pathway, because uh, shame hides in secrecy. Um, that's how it survives. And when we start to expose and shed light on um, what those maybe secrets or shameful things are, we oftentimes find people that have either walked a similar pathway or can look at us genuinely and say, wow, that's incredible that you want to do something different, that you want to try to do this coping skill and that instead of drinking, or you're going to treatment for the 12th time. Wow. Some people would give up after 11 and instead you're going back for a 12th time. That's incredible. And so one of the um, huge resources that pushed out in uh, 2022 was the 98, which is a suicide prevention hotline, but it's also a great resource for people um, dealing with any kind of substance use or mental health need. And so um, you can see how it's parallel to 911 in the event that someone is in a medical crisis. 
um, and really accessing your local resources through that phone number to see what what is there. Maybe there's uh, an online group that you can join. Um, we were just joking about as before we jumped on the podcast, right? Like computers and technology are great until they're not. <laughs> but one of the great things with with COVID um, that has developed is this massive network of online supports that we've never seen in the past in terms of substance use, um, harm reduction, uh, alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, if you grew up as a child of a, of a parent who is an alcoholic, um, all of those uh, groups now have a now have a virtual place as well to meet, which makes it incredibly easier to connect in some ways than it would have been in the past when you were, you know, trying to find the one sheet of paper that had the phone number for the one meeting that happened on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Now there's a whole virtual world of connecting with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now on a uh, a lot of times there's, there's, uh, I don't know if challenges is not the right word, but there's movements, if you will, where there's things like dry January or sober October. Those are, they're, those are gaining some, some popularity. Um, I guess it's kind of an open-ended question, but how, how do you feel about those, um, you know, challenges or, you know, uh, lifestyle decisions, even if they're temporary for, you know, a, a period of time, how's, how, how can those uh, positively impact people? I think it can, um, be helpful in first of all just awareness that there are other people who um, are attempting to perhaps reduce their alcohol consumption for a period of time Um, you know i can't say it enough that alcohol does alter you know how we feel and how we think as do other substances so i think things like dry january sober october can shed light to the fact that other people um can have challenges with tolerating alcohol as we all we all have challenges with it right um the part that i think is important to for people to understand is that you know maybe we call it a challenge or not or you know some sort of event you know for a month um of of not using alcohol um that can be great and it, it can work for some people um, but one thing i really enjoy about the sober curious lifestyle is that it isn't calling you to stop completely um, if that's not of interest. It's actually calling people to um, explore their relationship with alcohol, to try other things without alcohol, um, and to just kind of get more curious with it and friendly with the idea of perhaps not consuming alcohol. Uh, But it isn't a fixed amount of time. There aren't rigid boundaries around it that can make it seem impossible. You know, for some people, if you were to say, don't drink for a month, that would be extremely hard. Mm -hmm. But if you were to tell somebody, I wonder if we try going to, you know, a movie without alcohol beforehand, let's just see what it's like. That probably seems more doable than quitting alcohol for an entire month. It's kind of like the, So I uh, no, I didn't mean to interrupt interrupt you. I was just going to say, it's kind of like the pendulum swings and lifestyle. Exactly. But anyway, continue my fault. No, I was just gonna say, so if if a if an entire month long challenge seems like something that would really inspire people, go for it. But if it's something that seems like, oh my gosh, that'd be really hard, um, sober curiosity can be done day to day. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. A couple more questions here, Anna and Ashley, before we get you out uh, on your way. 
uh, high school students, college students, they're obviously looking to uh, experience new things. It's a very developmental time for uh, those individuals' lives. So what are a few things to look for in someone that may be going through changes and experiencing changes with alcohol in a harmful way that they may not have previously? And how can a person uh, be of help, you know, talking about the risks of binge drinking and tailgates and things like that. So Ashley, I'll, I'll let you take that one. Sure. Well, and we saw, gosh, probably in the 90s and 2000s, um, you know, this this huge um, push to educate around binge drinking, especially as it pertained to like frats and sororities, because we saw um, alcohol induced deaths. Um, and so we come to kind of this time of year and anyone that lived through that era of things probably has that on their mind at times of, oh gosh, we're starting the initiation of a new school year and another new round, or we have young kids um, that were socially isolated for three years during COVID coming back to kind of their first bonfires, their first post dance, post football game uh, pieces of things. And I think, uh, you know, some of the important things to maybe educate parents and um, friends, loved ones around is, you know, you kind of hit earlier, Simon, the idea of shame and not that we want to promote alcohol use by people, but we also want to make it a safe place to um, be a reach out to uh, as it relates to, you know, driving safely. Or if you feel like you're in a tight spot you know, you can call me um, parents establishing guidelines around um, what happens if your kid ends up at a party and doesn't feel safe and does call you, you know, are there repercussions for that? Are there, do you get punished for that? Or is there safe zones where it's kind of like, hey, I'd rather have you home alive. We can talk about this afterwards, but we're going to, we're going to get you feeling better. And then we'll, you know, we'll talk about what happened type of a thing. So I think that's kind of number one is starting the conversations with, um, with your teenager, with your adult, you know, your early adult child of, um, you're probably not telling them anything they haven't ever seen on TV, witnessed at a ball game, um, or, you know, seen or heard from their friends. And so, just kind of laying the groundwork of we're willing to talk about this. We're willing to entertain this conversation is important. Um, And then the other thing is watch out for your friends, you know, take care of each other. We're not responsible for how much other people drink, but we can certainly just keep an eye out. Um, You know, if I'm out with Anna, maybe we are each other's buddies and we're just, we're watching each other for the night and we're going to look out for each other. If we've had too much or if we've, you know, we both have our threshold where we're going into the night saying, I'm going to have two drinks. How many drinks are you going to have? How are we going to address this if either one of us feels like having more? But again, that is really bringing intentionality to the space and the experience. And I, th- I think that's really what the sober curious um, generation and lifestyle is about, is the curiosity, intentionality behind how do we want to live this out? How do we want to be in this moment, in this environment together? And so... Um, we can really get to that space together by talking about those pieces. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, it, I, I think it needs to be said, a, a lot of uh, a lot of behavior is 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 learned. And so when it comes to, um, you know, changes in your lifestyle, it, it can obviously be incredibly overwhelming because you're not only changing a lifestyle, but it's maybe it's something that, you know, it's the only thing that someone's ever known. Uh, so lastly, Anna, what resources does uh, Sanford Health have? Specific to Sanford Health Bemidji, 
Um, we do have an outpatient SUD uh, team, that's substance use disorder team, um, and we provide outpatient uh, treatment and peer recovery options for people um, who are interested in uh, treatment for substance use. Um, we use a harm reduction model. So as Ashley mentioned, it's not always about uh, complete abstinence. Sometimes it's about how can we do this in a safer way? Um, how can we be more aware of our use? Um, this team has co-occurring uh, clinicians, meaning they can um, navigate the mental health and substance component of um, that patient seeking care. Again, as we have, as we as we get out of the post-COVID kind of fog of things, I think service providers um, are looking for opportunities to support individuals in knowing that um, substances are effective for coping and at some point they might become ineffective and they might become harmful. And so how do we really meet the person where they're at and provide uh, holistic care around that, whether that's going to your primary care or whether it's um, seeking mental health services. And I think um, Sanford is interested in learning more about how we can better support people in that way. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time and, uh, and talk about this uh, very important topic here today. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. A reminder, Sanford Health offers substance use disorder care at many locations throughout the footprint. For more information on what care is available near you, you can call your provider, clinic, or visit sanfordhealth.org to learn more. This episode is part of the Health and Wellness series by Sanford Health. For additional podcast series by Sanford Health, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and news.sanfordhealth.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Simon Floss with Sanford Health News.